Well, awesome. How you guys doing? Um, probably didn't expect to see me up here, but uh, Chet let me know sometime around in India when I was going through culture shock that I would be preaching in July or June. And he gave a good warning last week saying that we have something interesting next week. Uh, emphasis on the interesting. Uh, no, it's, it's a blessing to be here. Um, I'd be asked to come up here and share the word with you guys. I've been I mean, I love this church. I feel like it's been a lot longer than a few months, and God has just blessed me so much with just the wisdom and counsel, and even coming up here knowing that people have already prayed for me um, as I come up here. Uh, yeah, I love this church. I'm excited for the future of it, um, and I, I really am humbled uh, to be asked to come up here and, and uh, open up the Word with you guys. Um, but that being said, honestly, as I, I approach this day, there's a certain amount of um, anxiety um, because Coming back from India, I was thrown into a schedule where I was just working way too much, um, and my soul was just like shrinking like freshman's laundry uh, first semester. And I was just like, uh, just going through the Ecclesiastes, man, meaningless, meaningless, just the toil of work, eat, and sleep, uh, and repeat. And uh, man, I had some dry moments, had some lackluster moments. Um, and, and yet, like, as I stand up here today, I'm so glad that I don't come here to talk about um, some points for better living, that I'm not here to talk about, um, you know, some pragmatic way that, that I found to have a better life, but we gather to talk about the gospel um, in that it's an objective reality that has been, that has been done um, and that, yeah, I get to share that. And it's not, um, it's not necessarily, a, you know, something that I am just, up here to, to attest to, but to attest to what God has done. Um, so yeah, so that's awesome. So what we're going to do is we're going to be in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Um, I'm going to read that real quick and then pray and um, get some much needed help. So I'll give you a chance to get there. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace we have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one uh, may boast. Let's pray real quick. Uh, dear God, um, God, we... Your grace is enough. God, we thank you um, for the gift of grace, Lord. We thank you that you have um, called people to yourself. And we gather today around the gospel, Lord, um, this, this thing that you have done, that you alone have done for your glory, um, and that we get a chance to, to enjoy fellowship with you, fellowship with one another, God, around this glorious thing that you've done through Jesus Christ. Um, God, I just pray for uh, your spirit as I, as I um, speak today, God, that, that I would say, what is right, I would say what is in line with your word, um, that people could hear it respond, God, bless your church today, um, not because we deserve it, but because you've had grace on us and you love us. So give us grace in this, um, in this time, Lord. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so yeah, we gather together to talk about the gospel, right? What God has done for those that believe. 
uh, who were once dead, far off, separated from a holy God, um, <laughs> that, that we lived a life that every breath brought us closer to the day that we'd stand before God. And as Caleb was talking about that wrath that we'd been storing up, um, we'd been storing up infinite wrath against an infinite God um, for our infinite sin. And that we, we would we'd stand before God and we'd realize that by nature our lives had been ones of wrath, had been ones of disobedience, um, had been active rebellion. And we'd stand before this flawless God and he would pour out his wrath on us as, as sons and daughters of disobedience, um, of which we once were in. If you're a believer, and if you are not a believer, you still are walking in. Um, this message is, is relevant to all of us. Um, it's relevant to every person on the planet. I don't need to bring some special relevance to it. It's, it is relevant. Um, for a believer, this is something that we rejoice in. We see how God has made us alive and reconciled us to himself, saving us from his just wrath by his gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ, who took the punishment of our rebellion and gives us righteousness so we can be justified, that is, that we can be made right before God. For the unbeliever, this is the work that God has done and continues to do for wretched, wretched sinners and broken people all around the world. And you can find hope and redemption in this. Um, that is not by works or what you've done or what you have not done, but is a gift from God to those who believe um, and that who likewise were in a hopeless state. Um, so Paul wrote this to the church of Ephesus. Um, he was writing to Christians. Um, so this is, they say, most likely around 62 AD when he was in prison in Rome. Um, Ephesians is notably divided into kind of two nearly equal halves. Um, Paul starts with a doctrinal declaration of what God has done, and then in the next half he goes into a um, what we should do in light of that, what the church should be doing or not do in light of that. Or simply put, the first three chapters are about what God has done, and the last three are what we should do. Um, so this section here in 1 through 9 that we're looking at um, is immediately applicable because it's, it's what some people would call a spiritual biography. Um, it's Paul's talking about where you, as Christians, where we were, and where we are now because of God's grace. Um, it's true for Paul and the Ephesians. Um, it's true for us who believe, and it's true for those that will believe. Um, the verses in this chapter should lead the Christians into rejoicing and worship, um, as we did earlier, because this is a vivid and amazing contrast between who we once were apart from God's grace and who we are um, because of it. Um, so, when considering the different elements of this gospel, we see in verses 1 through 3, Paul's laid out what, what I put under the heading, the hopelessness and helplessness of man. Um, and, and I found very helpful, um, something I kind of, I think it's been around for a while, but the first time I kind of got mention of it was kind of in um, Greg Gilbert's Together for the Gospel book, where he says, you know, we have four elements of the gospel, God, man, Christ, response. Um, and they're all related to each other, and they're all essential to the gospel. Um, and I think what Paul does here in the first part, we can... See, before you can move on to Christ in response, you've got to know the relationship between God and man. You need to know the relationship between God and yourself. Um, and God is, who's God? He is the creator of all things. He rightfully has authority um, and has ownership to all of our lives, which that includes man, all of creation. Um, man rightly owes him praise and glory. Man should recognize his lordship and relinquish his rights before him. Um, but this is, not a Paul, this is not a picture of what Paul gives us of natural man in verses 1 through 3. Um, you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and in the mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Um, so let's, let's kind of break that down for a second. Paul says, you being Christians, first, in verse 1, we're dead. Uh, so what is exactly does Paul mean by dead? Well, we know dead is to be no life, to be devoid of life, 
not living. Um, Paul's obviously not talking about physical death because many of us are unbelievers. All of us, if we're Christian, we're unbelievers at the time. We're quite alive. We know unbelievers that are breathing and quite living. Uh, but Paul's referring to a spiritual death, a, a lostness, an alienation, a separation from God. Um, and this goes back to the God and man relationship, that God um, created the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and that they were in perfect fellowship. They were without sin. That is, they were without, um, they did, had no disobedience to God's commands, whether in word, thought, or deed. Um, and they were made to glorify God in his presence and delight in him. Um, but God and man were in broken communion until, um, you know, sad story short, that they sinned, that they essentially tried to establish themselves as God, um, committed treason by, by conspiring against God of his enemy, Satan, and um, the repercussions that follow are immediate. Um, we see that Adam and Eve hide from God, um, that they are, they, they're hiding from the presence of God, which is a very short hide-and-seek game, and that they cannot win or swiftly brought to account. As you see through the rest of the scripture, Jonah tries to hide and gets swallowed by a whale, and it's not very good. You can't get away for very long. Um, the end result is God's banishment um, of them from, from his presence because uh, he's perfectly holy and he cannot be in the presence of sin. And now uh, man has been banished into a world that is under a curse, that it, it is um, groaning under the effects of sin. Um, and this curse isn't simply exterior. Like sometimes it's just like, oh, because of sin we have tornadoes and thorns and I stub my toe on rocks. But it's not just this exterior world that is cursed. Rather, it is an internal curse that, that men are born dead in their sin, that there's something that has affected every person since uh, Adam and Eve. Paul says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men as all sinned. So there's this mysterious union that, that we have with Adam um, that, that since he sinned, in a, in a way we all sin. We're not just simply guilty because of the daily sins that we commit, but we're guilty with Adam in such a way that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. Um, when Adam fell under the curse, we all fell under the curse. His guilt was imputed or charged um, to the whole human race. And now we are all dead um, in our natural state, as Paul says in verse 1. Um, and a perfect holy God can have fellowship with darkness and sin. We are cut off. We are dead to God. We are alienated. Um, and we're cursed from our birth. Sinners from the very moment we enter this world. Um, and Adam all died. David says in um, Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Um, so we are indeed broken from birth. Um, any Redeemer parents want to disagree with that? I'm sure your kid just obeys you all the time, loves to heed your authority. And if you say they do, you're a liar because I've had them in nursery. And we got some, we got some sons and daughters of Adam running around there for sure. Um, no, we joke, but like truly this is a serious condition. That's why we teach them the gospel in nursery, right? Amen? I mean, that's why. We, and I know you guys are praying for them. The church should be praying for them, um, that they've come to love Jesus and look for him for redemption from their fallen state. Um, yet, as Paul keeps going, it's not that we just inherit the sin and we find ourselves in some guilty passive state, that we're, now we've been identified with Adam and now we are passively guilty through him, yet we are, we're partaking in an active, ongoing rebellion, that we are actively um, living in our sin. Um, if you look at verses 1 through 3, a little bit farther down, he says, uh, you just notice some of the words he's using, so like, they are dead in their sins and trespasses, that they are walking in, um, following the course of this now sinful world, following the prince of the power of the air, that refers to Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. These are all active things. Um, the sons and daughters of disobedience itself is a, an, active, an active description uh, of them. Um, we are sons of this world. We are sons of Adam. We are sons of darkness that are in direct opposition to the light. 
uh, verse 3, living, like we are actively living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. Um, and that is surely um, that our whole being is affected by sin. Our minds, our desires, our deeds, our bodies, our whole humanity, physical and spiritual, um, is in a state of rebellion. We have passions, deep enthusiasms for sin um, from within. That, that is, We are not sinners simply because we sin. Um, we are not these innocent people that, that, that uh, you know, from the first sin all of a sudden we're guilty. Rather, we, we sin because we're sinners. Like, we are broken from this birth. We are, we are uh, essentially God-haters. Uh, since we enter the world. Um, and we follow this world and we follow Satan, not because we've been tricked or duped or victimized uh, by outward forces, um, but rather we inwardly, naturally yearn for sin. And I heard a pastor describe this. I felt like this has always been really good. Um, he said, Satan, and we could say the world, Satan and the world beat the drum, but everything within us loves the rhythm. That, like, that's how that kind of relationship is. Like, it, like we see this and we're like, that's what I want. That's where my affections are. That is... That is where my heart yearns for, um, is rebellion. Uh, Paul says in Romans 8.8, 8, um, I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is my flesh. And then in Romans 3.10-18, kind of a um, famous uh, passage on uh, human depravity, just a frightening picture of man apart from Christ. Paul writes, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not none. There is no fear for God in their eyes. Um, yeah, just a frightening picture of man's active heart towards God. Um, and if this is not enough bad news, the really, really bad news is that our rebellion does not just come with a hard earthly life um, and toiling under the curse and held captive by these fallen passions and lusts, um, but this rebellion comes with eternal consequence. Um, and it's so ridiculous when people commend the gospel um, by telling them it will give them purpose that they're missing in this life. Or that like Jesus is some sort of cherry to top the Sunday off to give you a complete, um, give a full meaning. Like, dude, you have a lot of stuff going for you, but you just need a little bit more purpose in Jesus, and that will just fill your life up. Um, maybe it will free you from some destructive habits, man. You need to stop doing drugs so you can enjoy this life, so come to Jesus. And I, I know I've come into the gospel like that, and it's garbage. Because the real thing of the gospel, the real issue is, um, I'm under the condemnation and wrath of God. Um, that my, my sin has offended God and the full wrath of God is going to be poured out upon me um, in the next life. Um, remember, Paul says, we are by nature children of wrath. Once again, from birth, we're in a fallen state. And this fallen state brings us to the just wrath of God. A God is perfectly holy and by definition cannot leave sin unpunished. We are by nature deserving of the full, eternal, divine judgment of God, forever separated from His glory, um, to be punished forever in hell for infinite transgression we have committed against an infinite God. Um, forever, hopelessly lost in a sinful state for eternity. Um, it's terrifying. Uh, away from everything that's good, even the common grace that, that Caleb talks about in the worship service, even the common grace that God allows the unbeliever and believer um, to feel like, they're, they're cut off from that forever. Um, the wages of sin are death, and those that are in the flesh cannot please God. Um, we truly are dead to God without hope. And we need to understand that this could end in verse 3. That we've kind of packed this out in the present uh, present tense, as if we are still walking in those things. Um, like this is a right end that that human beings could live for maybe 80 years, um, and then judgment. That we are before God, we have nothing. 
uh, and he rightfully will judge us. And that could be our lot, um, stuck under here. Um, left united to Adam, rebels guilty from birth before a holy judge who by no means will clear the guilty. But praise God, Paul does not end there, um, and that he writes this in the past tense. He talks about how we once walked, we once, le- once lived, um, we once were dead. It's a glorious contrast. He brings in a glorious contrast of what was and what is. Something marvelous has happened. Something has been done to change our hopeless state, as Paul tells us in verse 4. Um, but God. Um, this is the greatest conjunction in the universe. Uh, um, I about said the greatest but, but I knew someone would giggle. So I changed the conjunction in time, thankfully. Uh, yeah, I said it anyway. Um, but this is the greatest conjunction in the universe. You were dead by nature, children of wrath, but... Um, God, um, this is an awesome passage here. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is great news. God is rich in mercy. Um, he showed compassion and forgiveness to us even when we didn't deserve it. Um, even when we were dead in our sins, nothing good in us, God-haters by nature, he showed mercy on us uh, because of the great love of which he loved us, a love that is completely unmerited. It's flowing one way from God to his enemies. Um, and, but wait a minute. Someone should rightly say, you know, I thought you said that God could not clear the guilty. You know, he cannot... Ignore um, our rebellion. And that's right. Um, he couldn't. Um, something had to be done to reconcile us to God. And this is the gospel. This is where we move from God-man to Christ. Um, that Jesus Christ, the God-man, was sent into human history, living the perfect life that we and Adam need to live, but failed, and dying the death that we deserve to die um, as rebels, born enemies of the Holy God. Jesus took the penalty of all our trespasses and sins, suffering the full wrath of God for those sins that on the cross and rose the third day, his sacrifice accepted. Um, and all those that repent, put their faith and trust in the saving work um, are saved. And Jesus has undone what man could not do and has freed us from the condemnation that came through Adam. And as Paul says in Romans 5, 17 through 9, because of one man's trespass, that is Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness, that is right standing before God, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification, that is right standing, um, at the life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many were made righteous. Jesus is the one exception um, to, the, to someone who was born into this world who was not united to Adam. A very important exception. Um, and only he could undo the curse. So just as we were joined with Adam in his sin, his guilt imputed to us, born dead in our sins, so now as believers we are joined with Christ, his righteousness imputed to us or charged to us, and we are being made alive uh, together with Christ. Um, Paul says in Corinthians, Make Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, this is, as Martin Luther calls it famously, the great exchange, that, that Jesus takes our penalty, our rebellion, our sin, and then pays for it. Not only that, but he takes his perfect obedience, his perfect record, and transfers it to us so that we are united with him and that God can show love to us and can, um, 
you know, love that he has for his son, that we can be in uh, communion and relationship with him. Um, we were once dead, hopelessly lost from him. Um, and we'd be sa- we've been saved only by God's grace. That is his unmerited favor towards those who deserve only punishment. Um, and as Christ was raised from the tomb after dying for our sin, his atoning work accepted, so were we raised with him by the Father with spiritual life, no longer dead in our sin, but made alive together with Christ, no longer cut off, but united to, to Christ, with Christ, to the Father, seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Um, so when Jesus died on the cross for the believer, our sins died there. And when Jesus rose from the grave, we rose in new life. We have this, you, you know, this uniting that we had of Adam, we now have of Christ, that we identify, um, we are connected with his, um, with his sacrifice. Um, and God has accepted it, and now we are made, we are made um, uh, near. So through Christ we have now a fellowship of God, and share in his glory as co-heirs and adopted sons and daughters, no longer sons and daughters of disobedience. Sin is no longer separating us, and separating us, and instead of eternal judgment waiting for us, we wait for the day um, when we will enter into eternal glory, and we will delight and share in the presence of God forever. Um, to say this is an unconceivable reality is, is an understatement. Um, what has merited this sudden favor, one may ask? Um, perhaps in light of all this wonderful news, Paul knew that someone was going to have a hard time getting their head around um, the idea that this is an unmerited gift to God. And Paul seems to go back in verses 8 through 9 and kind of rehammer this point um, that salvation is grounded in God's grace, and that alone is only by God's unmerited favor that you've been saved through faith. That's faith in Jesus Christ. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of who? God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is God's work. This is God's gift. Our salvation is not some merit badge that we put the hours into. Um, this is God's. Um, I need to preach this to myself all the time. Hands off, Quinn Stephan. This is not yours. This is not your um, work. This is not your doing. This is God's. Um, and he deserves glory for it. And that's why he ultimately did it. If we look at verse 7, after he's been talking about um, God being rich in mercy, making us alive, he says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That God saves undeserving sinners to make them alive because it brings him glory. Period. His grace and kindness and love are beautifully put on display so that we can marvel and give him praise for lavishing it on us for no reason besides that he has chosen to do so. Paul gets this. I mean... The dude's on the road to Damascus. I mean, he's there when martyrdom starts. He, the first martyr, Stephen, he's there. And he's on his way to Damascus to get more Christians. And he, I can just see, just see him, his face just like set. He's just like, man, I can't wait to get there, get to the hot spots where the Christians are. I don't know how many I'm going to get today. And then boom, Jesus meets him, radically changed life, made alive in Christ. And he, and he talks about this in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. He says, God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Um, so God has ordained to do this um, before the foundations of the world. Um, he's willed to do it for his glory. Um, we believe that here at Redeemer. God did not save us because we had some kind of potential or some merit. Rather, he has freely chosen and willed that he would be glorified by showing his grace, his unmerited and unearned favor to us. Um, so how should we respond to the spiritual biography that Paul gives us? Um, it's the gospel, so there's like about a gazillion ways that you can um, apply this. It applies to every part of your life, but, but I have a few here. Um, the first one, praise the author. Um, for the believer, praise God. Dead people do not make themselves alive. This is his work. 
We are not the man floundering in the water who Jesus throws the life preserver to and we make a free-willed effort to grasp in that Arminian illustration of conversion. Rather, here at Redeemer, we believe um, we were more like the man that was dead at the bottom of the sea, um, dead, no life in him, who was rescued and life was breathed into him by Jesus Christ, our rescuer. Um, and we praise him for that. That's his gift. We cherish that. Um, this is the story that God alone has offered, that how you were once dead in your sins and made alive by the grace of God and this free gift of salvation. Um, this should lead us to f- flee all forms of legalism, whether you're despairing in your lack of being able to earn what you think was possible to earn, or you're pridefully admiring the new life that you have as if it was not a gift and you are the author. Uh, we need to repent of that, and I, I need to repent of that all the time, uh, both sides of it. Um, and thank God for this free gift that man cannot earn one speck of. Uh, so the unbeliever, make this your story by responding to faith, um, repenting of your sin and placing your trust in this gift that Christ has accomplished for you um, that is a free gift. Uh, so two, in light of that, do not forget how the story started. Read it with humility. Uh, we were dead in our sins and passions and lusts. I think so often, I think maybe even, sometimes even with campus ministry sometimes, because high school, all us college kids don't know what the heck we're doing all the time. And we, you have bad weeks, you had a bad week, man. It's like, don't look to the past. No condemnation in Christ. And, and that's true. There is no condemnation in Christ. But, but it doesn't seem like Paul is saying that there. He brings attention to their, to their former lives. And Paul elsewhere is like, um, you know, I'm the greatest sinner. Like he, Paul, Paul does not forget who he was. It's not like you just like forget that. Like we need to realize who we would be um, outside of God's grace and who we were outside of His grace for the gospel to be glorious. Um, let the knowledge of your great sinfulness uh, drive you to more frequent and authentic praise. So don't stay there. Don't stay there just reflecting on your sinfulness. But take that in light of that thought. Take that to how you understand the gospel, um, and that's going to make it glorious. The glory of Romans 8, and the fact that there's no condemnation for those in Christ, is because there was condemnation that is deserved, uh, but Christ has taken it. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like that, that's been something that's been helpful for me. Um, so three, in light of that, now that we have acknowledged that God is the author, and that we have humbled ourselves in light of that fact, let's share this story um, with love, with boldness, joy, and unity. Um, a humble love, knowing that we are no more deserving of this gift of grace than any one other person that we pass by. Um, let's share it with joy, knowing the freedom and blessing that we have been given through this gift. Boldness, boldness, knowing that Christ has given us victory over the power of sin and the powers of darkness through this union that we have with him. And in unity, that not just with believers, but as a church, that we're united in this gospel. That this is a story that is all of our stories. Um, and that we, uh, that we rejoice in that. People that are far off but have now been made near. So, awesome. So let's praise him for that together um, in unity. Oh, dear God, we just, Lord, we just we thank you for the gospel. Lord, we thank you um, that you have not left us in our sin, Lord, that you've not left us in verses 1 through 3, God, but that you have been a God of rich mercy that has chosen, Lord, before the foundations of the world to, to um, pull people to yourself, to save them, to breathe life into them, to make them alive in Christ. Jesus, thank you um, for being the means of this, Lord, that, that you entered human history um, and live the life that we could not live and die the death we deserve to die. And that now, um, in faith, Lord, we, we have that gift of salvation, Lord, that is uh, not by us, not by works, but is by your grace. And I pray for this church. I pray that this would be um, the glue that holds us together, God, that the gospel, um, Christ, that you would be centered, Lord, as we approach our hard launch and all these things, Lord. I pray that we would encourage each other in the gospel and in um, Rejoice in it, Lord, together as a body. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Um, We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.